want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we will eventually be covering that entire chapter. Um, But to get started, you know there are a few things more enjoyable than watching a master perform his craft. I I don't know if you guys um, remember it, uh, but there was a show, it was on public broadcast station back, uh, well, years and years ago, but uh, it was called The Joy of Painting. And the guy that um, was kind of the star of that show was Bob Ross. And he had this real gentle voice and this kind of gentle way about him. But he could paint a painting. And, and of course, with the magic of TV, in 30 minutes, he painted an entire landscape. And, you know, he would be going along and he'd do something they didn't mean to do. And he'd, oops, that's a happy accident. And just, you know, just as expertly as you please, he, he would have a mountain where he wasn't supposed to. Or he'd, he'd put a tree in or he'd cut a cabin in and all these kinds of things that he did. And, you know, there's no telling how many people decided that they would go buy the, the kit and learn how to paint and do all that kind of stuff and never did that. But they continued to watch the show just because he was a master at what he was doing. It was simple. You know, it wasn't something that was, um, th- that was you know, so, so complicated or it didn't look so complicated that you couldn't do it. But when you, when you tried it, you realized that, that he was a master. What he was doing, the things he could do was beyond what, what you know, we could do without really honing and working in on that craft. And so whether it's a trade or a hobby, to watch people that are truly skilled at what they do, that is enjoyable. Why do we have professional sports except we enjoy watching people do what they're really, really great at? doing and so this morning we're going to spend some time studying the master soul winner at his craft what Jesus did when he was about the business of winning souls he was always ready to help someone come to faith in him and today we're going to see how he ministered to people that many other people would have completely ignored so the sermon in a sentence is this Jesus is always saving His servants are always bringing those in need to Him. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Jesus is always saving, and the job of His servants is to bring people that are in need to Him. That's what we're we're about. So I'm going to read John chapter 4, and yeah, it is 54 verses, but it's narrative. It goes kind of fast. So John chapter 4, we're going to read this whole thing, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Uh, And he had to pass through Samaria. Old King James says he, ha- he must needs pass through Samaria. So we, we know that this was an imperative, not because of the geography, but because of a part of his ministry. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was seat, sit, sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's about noon, midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Uh, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Joseph? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, look up your eye, or lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast." So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, 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 I usually can say that one, 
Anyway, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke uh, to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Okay, so we're going to start by looking at the story of the woman that Jesus met at the well. And she was certainly, certainly an unlikely convert. Now, there are some reasons that Jesus left Gal uh, Judea in the first place. Um, one of the reasons is that the Pharisees were beginning to grow hostile toward him. We studied just a couple of weeks ago that Jesus had entered into the temple complex there into the court of the Gentiles, and there he saw people selling animals and changing money, and for the most part just robbing the Gentiles of a place to worship while at the same time robbing everybody else that was coming to worship through, through unfair and unjust basically an economy there in the temple. And so he turned over tables and he fashioned a whip and he, and he scared the animals out and told the people with birds to take the birds away. And all these things that Jesus did didn't make him any friends among the religious elite. Certainly they began to hate him. And then what you have, and this is where the jealousy comes in, Jesus kind of in the rule or the, the, the countryside of Judea begins preaching and teaching and probably also working signs, although Jesus or John doesn't tell us about those signs. Jesus is working these signs and doing these wonders and people begin to believe. Now John tells us that, that Jesus didn't baptize people but his disciples were baptizing people so the number of people following Jesus began to increase. This is where the jealousy kicks in. Not only has he came after the Pharisees and essentially accused them of, of using the temple in an improper way but now he is also attracting followers they could have had and so it was beginning to be a situation where Jesus needed to go. Why? Because Jesus was afraid of the Pharisees? Absolutely not. As he told Mary before his first sign, his hour had not yet come. It wasn't time for him to be killed. Would the Pharisees have pursued him, arrested him, put false charges on him and had him executed? Most likely. They, they would have tried to do that, but it wasn't his time. So that's why he left. That's why he went away from their seat of power and went to an area that would be a little bit more friendly or at least further away from the power in Galilee. The other reason why it was time for Jesus maybe to leave Judea, at least for that time period, is that John the Baptist had been arrested. So he had been arrested by Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife. And, and so that was a crime against Jewish law. It was a sinful thing, and John was a faithful prophet. So he proclaimed that, that Herod was in the wrong by marrying his brother's wife, and so this angered Herod and even his wife Herodus. It angered them severely. And so they actually arrested John, John the Baptist, and would eventually have him executed. And so right then, 
John was a rabbi that was teaching outside the authority and the permission and the blessing of the Pharisees and the religious elite of that day, and so was Jesus. So right then, it would not have been safe religiously or politically to be where Jesus was teaching. And so again, not that he was afraid or that he was concerned that somebody was going to get him, but it wasn't his time. It was not yet time for him to go to the cross, so it was not time for him to be captured, so he changed locations. Now you should know um, that there were ways to go to Samaria or to, to go to Galilee without going through Samaria, although that was the most direct route. Most Jews avoided Samaria. There's a lot of history back there. So remember when we were talking about Daniel and we were talking about Jeremiah and, and there, was a, there was a time when there was two Israeli kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Well, when the northern kingdom was destroyed, uh, most of the people were moved out of that region, but some people remained. Others, foreigners, were brought in. And so what you had was the few Jewish people that remained intermarried with the foreigners that were brought, brought in, and they worshipped differently, and they didn't keep the bloodline pure. That was one of the issues. And so instead of being called Jews, they were then called Samaritans. And, and, and the, the Jews from, from the southern kingdom of Israel did not want anything to do with them. So even when they came back to rebuild the temple after it had been destroyed, the Samaritans came down and offered their help, and the Jews said no, because your, your blood is not pure and your worship is not pure we won't have you. And so that created an issue where the two, two groups hated each other always. So Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. That's why this story that Jesus would later tell of the good Samaritan is so shocking. It has that shock value because you would not think that a Samaritan would help a Jew or vice versa. So Jesus, for whatever reason, chooses that he needs to go through Samaria. And the reason we know that he needs to go through is because he has an appointment with this woman. He needs to speak to this woman because this woman is, is a part of God's plan to reach this particular city. So it is, a, um, it is a divine appointment and therefore Jesus had to go. Now, when we think about... The, the traveling and we think about the, the difficulties. I'm sure John doesn't tell us this, but many of his disciples probably told him, hey, there's other ways to get to Galilee without going through Samaria, but Jesus was set on that. And so when they came to the town of Sychar, whether they liked the people or were even interested in having any dealings with them or not, when you travel in the first century like this in ancient times, when there's food and there's water, you've got to go. And so when they stopped at this well, they left Jesus by the well, the disciples had to go into the city and buy food and water. Whether they wanted to or not, they had to go in and get supplies. And so that leaves Jesus sitting by the well all by himself. And this is when he encounters this woman and asks her for a drink of water. Now there's several things about this that um, that, that I think we need to notice. And, and these are the points that kind of drive the story and help us understand why this is strange and, and, and why she is an unlikely convert. First of all, it was the wrong time to be seeking water. Um, women in the first century would go early in the morning or late in the evening to draw water. It was manual labor because it wasn't like there were, you know, carts or something to bring it back. So they would draw water, which was a physical process, and they would carry that water back to town, back to their homes. And so it was manual labor. And as hot as we think it is here, you, you start carrying around a bunch of water, gallons of water in the desert. It is rough. And so they went in the mornings and they went in the evening. So why was this woman here in the middle of the day, 12 o'clock, why was she here then to draw water? This woman felt it was better 
to avoid the other women of the town than it was to avoid the heat of the day. We'll get into why in a few minutes. You were listening, so you know why. But um, she felt that, that it, was, it was better for her to go in the middle of the day. So that's why she was there at the middle of the day when Jesus was resting by the well. It was the wrong time usually to get water. Second thing, it was the wrong social setting to be seeking water. Now, in, in, the, in the Middle East, they were, they really still are very conservative uh, place in terms of public relations of men and women. Here in America, we think nothing of it if a man walks up and speaks to a woman. We, we think nothing of that whatsoever. That just was not the case in the Middle East in the first century, and it's not really the case even now. Men and women don't consort in public unless they're married or related. That just doesn't happen all that often. And so for Jesus to strike up a conversation with this woman, it is strange. It's, it, it, it's borderline scandalous just for him to be speaking to her. So that is, that is trouble, and especially when you couple that with the fact that we know this woman has a, uh, a rough reputation. They just, that just would not have been the case. So it was the wrong social setting, and then obviously also it was the wrong racial setting to be seeking water. For a Jew to be seeking help of a Samaritan, that was completely unheard of at the time. We talk about racism now in America we're not very good at it. In the first century, the Jews were expert racists. They hated everybody that weren't Jews. They were good at it. They, they hated different people for different reasons, but they hated everybody because they were not the people of God. That, that was what they said, and that's what they believed. What we have in America today is, is not to that level, not to that degree. And so these people would not have asked, a regular Jewish male would not have asked a Samaritan man for help, much less a Samaritan woman with a bad reputation for help. Now, would a normal man have known her reputation just by seeing her? Maybe not, but he would have wondered why she was there at noon, so who knows? Anyway, it just wasn't the right setting for Jesus to be asking for water. Physically, Jesus certainly needed water, but any reader would know that he had a more meaningful purpose for striking up this conversation. There were just too many reasons why he shouldn't have started this conversation. We know that he had some reason. Now, it's at this point I want to stop for just a second and say, how many people on a day-to-day -day basis should hear the gospel, should receive a Christian witness, but it's, something's wrong about it? wrong time, it's wrong social setting, it's wrong racial setting, it's wrong social economic, it's, it's just the wrong setting. How many times in a day do you think there's a Christian in place to tell someone about Jesus, but it's deemed wrong? It's just not the right time. It's not convenient. It's not, it's not comfortable. It's not the kind of person I want to talk to. It's not the time I want to talk, whatever. We can have our reasons. Jesus ignored all those reasons. He, he went right through all of the different reasons that, that he shouldn't speak to this woman, and he began speaking to her. And he asked her for a drink of water. Now, she was not in the right mindset to receive water. You know, you read this, and, and kind of on a high level, you can see that, that she's saying, you know, why are you asking me? I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Why are you asking me? When Jesus kind of retorts and, 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 he, and he says that, you know, if you knew who was asking you, then you would ask me for water, for living water, so you'd never be thirsty again. And I think it's at this point we can tell this is a woman that has been degraded, 
she has been scorned, uh, she has been um, spoken harshly to and about. She was probably the type of woman that people would talk about her like she wasn't in the room when she was in the room. She was the type of person that had received so much judgment in her life that by this point, she was basically used to it. But in order to be used to it, her tongue had really sharpened. And, and, and so what she says to Jesus would not have been acceptable for a woman to say to a man. Not that they would have been talking anyway, but the way she speaks, he's, he says, I've got living water. She says, you don't even have a jar. You don't have anything to hold water. What are you talking about? You've got living water. Where are you going to get this living water from? Are you going to jump down there and grab it out? You know, are you greater than Jacob? Jacob gave us the well. His sons drank from it. How are you going to get water in the first place? Her mindset is all in the practical, but it's also very much on guard. Very much on guard. You know, I would say that there are a lot of people that we encounter on a day-to-day basis right now that would probably be on guard. They may not be like her, but when you start talking about Jesus, they're going to say, I don't want anything to do with church. When you start telling them about salvation, they'll say, well, I hate religion. They'll be on guard. They will not be interested in what you have to say. And that might make it seem like this is not the time to have the conversation. It's not right to have the conversation. Maybe I don't need to press in this situation because it's just not good. Well, Jesus actually continued. Not only was she not in the right mindset to receive the water, but she was not in the right moral condition to receive this water that Jesus was offering. So Jesus cuts to the chase. You know, they have this conversation about water, and, you know, he says, you know, I I can give you living water. You'll never thirst again. And she says, well, give me that water so I never have to come here and draw any more out. It still seems almost like she's not joking with him, but being sarcastic with him when she says these things. And then Jesus says, all right, we'll just figure this out. Go get your husband. Jesus knows how this is going to go. He is aware of where this is going to go. And she, she probably paused a little bit. Now, John doesn't give us all the, 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 the social cues of what was going on during that time and how that conversation would have played. But she probably stopped for just a minute and said, well, I don't have a husband. And so at that point, Jesus begins to reveal not just what he's offering but who he is. You know, the fact that he was offering living water, that's the gospel. Believe Jesus, you are saved. But also he is Lord. And we probably use that word so much that we don't remember what it means. Lord means master. He is judge. He is holy. And he knows all. All those things that we do in secret and in the dark, Jesus knows And so he says, you're right that you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. So is is Jesus avoiding talking about the sin in her life? No. Her major need is to be saved, just like any of us. But he doesn't tiptoe around the fact that she is currently living in sin. He says that. And look how she responds. She did not get all indignant and say, well, you know, if, if you're going to be judging me, I'm not going to hear anything you have to say. She marveled. She began to turn. This is the turning point in the conversation. She says, sir. And, and, and probably the best translation of these sirs is actually Lord. Uh, but she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. 
I understand that you're a prophet. How else would he know her history? How else would he know the things in her past? I mean, maybe she had even tried to bury some of that stuff, and Jesus brought it all right back out to the forefront. She says, I know you're a prophet. But then she kind of turns it right back around. And this is where we find out that she did not have the right theology to receive the water. She says, y'all... Which she didn't say y'all, but she, the Middle Eastern version. Y'all say, we need to go to Jerusalem and worship. But people used to worship on this hill right here. And, you know, Jesus, without losing his patience, says, yeah, y'all worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. Salvation comes from the Jews. That was the thing that was expected to be said at that particular time. He says, but there's coming a day, and that day is now, when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay, so it's not going to be about the location. It's not going to be so much about who's around you, but you're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, she wasn't there yet, but he was helping her to find her way to that. You know, it really wasn't that the Jews decreed that you had to worship at the temple. That was God's command. You see that a lot nowadays. People say, well, Christians say this and Christians say that. Well, if Christians are right, we say what we have found in Scripture. That's what we say. When we say things that we don't find in Scripture, that's when we make mistakes. And that's when we bring on negative attention to ourselves. But so long as we're saying what the Bible says, it's not us that's saying it. It's ultimately God that's saying it. So it, it's at this point where when he begins to say, you're going to worship him in spirit and truth, that's when she begins to turn. That's when she really begins to, to listen and to hear what Jesus has to say. So this day which Jesus spoke... And when we gather, this is the day, I'm sorry, this is the day of which Jesus spoke. And when we gather in truth to lift our voices to him, we have truly worshipped. So what started off as a conversation about regular old water, went to living water, and went ultimately to worship. This is the day that Jesus was talking about. He said, the day's coming and it's now here that people will worship God in spirit and truth. He's looking for people to worship him in spirit and truth. So he set us an example, but he also taught us something. The example is, it's none of your business if a person is unlikely to be converted. That's not your concern. Your concern is your mission, which is to tell people about Jesus. But also, he told us, worship is about spirit and truth. It's, it's not about where you are. Jerusalem or what have you. It's not about the trappings or the visual things. It is about worshiping God in spirit and truth. So what are those two things? One, you come to God with a pure heart. We're not there for other reasons. We're not there to serve some other purpose. We are there to worship God, but also we worship God in truth. If you don't believe the same things that God teaches in his word, you can't worship him. You can't, because you're, you're, you're making up a new God. If you believe that God is love, but you don't believe that God is the judge of all mankind, then you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping your imagination, what you believe God to be. If we say that God is good, but we also say that he has no judgment for those that have abortions, or those that, that commit homosexuality, or whatever else you want to name in there that the Bible is explicitly clear about, if we say those things, we are not worshiping God in spirit and truth. Even if your heart may be pure, your theology is a lie, and therefore you're not worshiping God. We have to realize that. Spirit and 
truth. Jesus said it. It's not, it's not me. It's not the church. It's not anybody else. It is God himself that said, come to him in spirit and truth. Not one or the other, but both. Both. Now, as we see Jesus' disciples come back, we see a waiting harvest. We see that Jesus begins to talk to them about a waiting harvest. So the, the disciples come back. Um, he tells this lady he's the Messiah. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. And he says, well, I am the Messiah. And that's about the time the disciples show up. And so the disciples return. They're surprised that he's speaking with a Samaritan woman. They don't ask any questions. John tells us. They don't ask any questions, but they're surprised. And this woman kind of takes, you know, th this is the opportunity to leave. She leaves her water jar there and runs back into the city and begins to tell them that Jesus is the man that told her everything she had ever done. Meanwhile, the disciples start having a conversation with Jesus. Now, the language in the text indicates that they were virtually begging him to eat. Um, they were probably concerned about his well-being, but probably even more so, they thought, something's wrong with this man. We've got to feed him. We've got to give him some water. We've got to do something to make sure he doesn't start talking to women again. This was, that was way beyond what they thought should be happening, and so they wanted to feed him and take care of him. And he said, hey, I've got food that you don't know about. And then, and then, of course, being stuck in the practical, that's when they began asking questions about what was going on. So they were primarily concerned on the physical condition. Jesus must be hungry. He must be thirsty. He must be sick. There must be some problem. The disciples earnestly wanted Jesus to eat because they were concerned for him. But Jesus was primarily concerned with the, physical, or the spiritual condition. So Jesus had received nourishment from doing the will of the Lord. Was his physical body still hungry? Probably. But he had served the Lord. He had done what God told him to do in that case, and he was satisfied. He had received nourishment. He had started a chain of events that would cause many people to believe on him. So Jesus was concerned with that physical or that spiritual condition. The disciples were still, they were focused on the earthly complications. They were, they were thinking about his hunger. They were thinking about where he might have gotten food from. They were concerned about his situation, and the things that were right in front of them. And although it doesn't say it, they were probably gravely concerned about the fact that Jesus had spent time talking to a Samaritan woman. And while they would not yet know her reputation, if they had of, it would have really made their cheeks burn. But Jesus was focused on the heavenly implications. For Jesus, it was about what was going to happen to the souls of the people in that city. What was going to happen to the soul of that lady? Would his reputation take a hit? Well, he's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. Nobody's opinion of, his, of him matters because he is the truth. So what, what does it matter if his reputation takes a hit? He was doing what God told him to do. He was doing what was right. He was doing the will of him who sent him. So Jesus was concerned about the heavenly implications. Then he began to talk about this harvest. He says, look, look, look around you. Y'all say it's four months and then it'll be the harvest. He says the harvest is right, it's ready. It's, why, it's time to harvest now. And that's the picture that the Bible gives us the whole way is that the harvest is always ready. Jesus says the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Every person on this earth is on some part of their journey either toward or away from the Lord. Now we know not every person is going to be saved. We, we are aware of that. But we don't know who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And every person is on some part of that journey. They're either headed towards Him that God has ordained today that they'll be saved or they're heading away from Him and they're going to reject Him their whole life. We don't know where they are, so we need to be faithful in sharing the gospel. 
he was saying, be harvesters. He said, some people are going to labor. Some people are going to sow. Other people are going to harvest. They're going to work together and they're going to rejoice together. You know, there are people that are right on the verge. They are ready to hear about Jesus. They just lack someone to tell him. And then there are other people who will take a lot of love. They will take a lot of prayer. They'll take a lot of patience, a lot of concern. But they too will hear about Jesus if we have a chance to do that. Jesus has started the work of the harvest. He has declared that the harvest will come from all people groups and He has directed us to complete the work. So whether it be a Samaritan woman, whether it be a... Right now we've got all kinds of issues in this country, white and black and Asian and all these other ethnicities that we've got. There is one way to be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. And it does not matter about their ethnicity. It does not matter about their... Gender. It does not matter about any other thing that we as humans use to divide ourselves. God is bringing us together under the cross. There is nothing that divides us except our sin. Our sin separates us from God and all other relationships don't matter so long as we're separated from God. You know, the next thing we have is an unlikely evangelist. And this is, this is pretty quick. Although John does not count it as a sign, it's no small miracle that the people of Sakaar were willing to listen to the woman when she returned from the well. So why weren't they going to listen to her? One, her gender didn't give her a voice in the community. You've heard maybe the saying, it's a man's world. Well, in the first century, it certainly was a man's world. Most likely, this woman would have came into the city. You have to understand about these Middle Eastern cities at this time, there was some kind of wall or something, a gate that would allow you into the city, and that's where the men would sit. Those men would sit and they would deal with the, with the problems and the business of the city. So these were your leaders in the city. And so these would have been the first people that would have heard her testimony, come see a man that told me all I ever did. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He, they would have been the first ones to hear that. And most likely, they would not have been receptive normally but God used her in a way that, that people could actually hear her. These men usually wouldn't have been tolerant, but maybe they were listening. Her sinful history did not give her a voice in the community. Jesus wasn't supposed to know, except he was God. The disciples may not know yet, but the folks in that town sure did. That's why she avoided them. You know, In the morning when she was gathering, or when they were gathering water, she waited until noon so that she wouldn't see anybody. They knew. They knew the things that were going on. Now, the Samaritans didn't live in the same sort of legalistic society where every little thing was, you know, had to be exactly perfect, but they still held marriage as, as, as sacred. They still knew about, you know, the, the way to live properly. And so for them, they knew the Ten Commandments, they knew about adultery, and they knew how bad that was. And so she would have been an outcast. And a lot of times we don't listen to outcasts. We don't listen to people that have no reputation or not a good reputation. We don't listen to people that, that, that are unworthy to be speakers for one reason or another. And also, when we look at this, regardless of the circumstances of her life, people would have judged her for the choices that she made. There's never been a divorce that was all one person's fault. There's always some blame to go around. So was she a product of, of other circumstances? At least to some extent. But she was also a product of her choices. And we have to get back to that, that, that there, is, there is responsibility. And, and she was there. That's where she was. And she, she should not have been listened to. They shouldn't have heard her. They shouldn't have listened to her, but they did. And I just want to mention at this point, you might be sitting here saying, well, it's all well and good for you to tell me to talk about Jesus. 
it's all well and good for you to create these scenarios where we go out and we tell people about Jesus, but nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to hear me. Well, let me tell you, if Jesus could use this woman, nobody should have listened to her, but they did. If Jesus can use this woman, he can use you. No matter what you think is in your history, no matter what you think is, is wrong with you, no matter what, why you think that you shouldn't be heard, people will listen not because it's you, but because of Jesus. They will listen because of the message. Only the message of Jesus, that he is the Christ, could cause the community to listen to her. You know, at first it probably was her zeal. She comes running in. Hey, come and see, come and see, come and see. Well, everybody wants to come see. Yeah, I mean, when somebody says, here, look, look, you're all going to look, right? I mean, it's just like when somebody hands you something. Here, smell this. Everybody smells it and then they regret it. Why'd you make me do that? And, and we all do that. Well, first of all, come and see, come and see. But then they, wait a minute. We all know what you did. What's special about him telling you what you did? We know what you did. We've been judging you and gossiping about you for years. We know what you, but they came and they saw they came and they saw Jesus, and that is what made the difference. Now, we may not be the perfect witness according to man's standards, but Jesus has saved us, cleansed us, and commissioned us to be his messengers in the world. Those disciples were supposed to be harvesters. We are supposed to be harvesters. We're supposed to be going out and telling people about Jesus. We're supposed to. That's, that's what we're left here on this earth to do. And, and, and this lady, she did that. She went and told her whole town. And, 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 and here's what's really intriguing. Her sin was part of that story. She, she didn't hide or cover up or say, hey, I met this guy that told me that he's living water. No, no, her sin was part of the testimony. He told me all that I ever did. He, he knows me, but yet he offered me living water. He is the Christ. And so people went and they saw and they listened. So she was certainly an unlikely evangelist. And yes, the people went. They went. They listened to Jesus. They asked him to stay for a couple of days. And, and when he stayed, they began to believe. And they said, we first believed because you told us to come and see. But now we believe because we've seen him. We've met him. And that's how it is. The way that we live eventually brings people in. And, and, and then once, once they are in, they listen to Jesus. They meet Jesus himself. People are fascinated by Jesus. If they would ever meet him, if they would ever listen to what he has to say, if they would ever see his heart. We all long for righteousness and justice. We all long for, for the love and, the, and true acceptance. We all long for what God has put in our hearts. And when people meet Jesus, they believe in him. But Jesus himself is also a complete savior. I won't spend long on this, but once Jesus got to Galilee... Uh, he's met by a man who needs his healing powers. Um, Jesus does express some frustration with this. The man shows up and says, my son is sick, he's going to die. Will you come down and, and heal him? And, and Jesus begins to express, express this frustration that y'all are always wanting some kind of sign before you believe. And, and the man's like, will you please just come heal my son? Please just heal my son. The man's persistent. It seems that he's not looking for a sign but he is truly looking for Jesus to work in his life. And so what do we learn about this man? One, he's a father who cannot see past the immediate well-being of his family. And, and, and I don't say that to judge the man. I, I wouldn't be able to either. If my child was laying there sick and on death's door and I could run up to Jesus, I would run right up to Jesus. And we wouldn't be talking about the pearly gates or we wouldn't be asking about the actual responsibilities of St. Peter at those gates. I'd be saying, hey, will you heal my son? We would be talking about the most important thing. 
And that's, that's who this man was. But look, Jesus is a savior with a view to the eternal well-being of all families. And so Jesus was saying people want this sign in order to believe. And although he was willing to do the miracle, what he wanted to say was you always ask for a new display of power before you believe. Well, the man, Jesus said, go your way. Your son will be healed. The man believed Jesus. And I believe that was the key to this whole story was that he believed Jesus. And so he went his own way. The next day he finds out that his son was healed in the very hour that Jesus said this. And so Jesus, not only uh, does he make promises but he also welcomes all who follow him and enjoy in his blessings. So Jesus himself, I probably didn't read that sentence anywhere near about right, but anyway, Jesus himself made a promise. Your son's going to be well. And then he kept that promise because the son was well. And, and, and what we can see here is that, yes, the woman was talking about water. Jesus immediately turned it to living water. So from physical to spiritual. Uh, the disciples were talking about food, and Jesus said, I have food that you know not of, physical to spiritual. And again, with, with, with this, you know, the, 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 the young man had a physical need, and Jesus made it a spiritual thing. But do notice, do notice, when, when Jesus makes this promise, he fulfills this promise. And then the Bible tells us that not only did this man believe in Jesus, but his whole household believed in Jesus. And it wasn't because of the sign. The man had already believed. But after the sign, it opened that door. Now, are there more miracles to be had in this modern, scientifically advanced world? I, I believe so. But God has already done a tremendous number of signs. And do you want to know one of the most wonderful miracles that God has ever done? Well, if you're sitting in here this morning as a Christian, one of the most wonderful miracles he's ever done is he saved your soul. That testimony that you have is what God will use to lead other people to him. Because the way he saved you is the way he will save others. Now let's wrap this up. There is no bad time to tell other people about Jesus. There just isn't. There just isn't. Do you think the people in Sakaar were talking about other things when the woman ran in? You think it's weird that a woman talked to men. What about if she interrupted them while they were conducting important man business? Well, she ran in there and said, come and see, come and see. She interrupted everything they had going, but yet that was the most important thing for them to hear. It's never a bad time, and it's never a bad place to tell other people about Jesus. We need to tell other people about Jesus. You know, there's been, there's been times that I've been asked to preach funerals of people that I knew. And, and those are difficult times because you know the person, you care about the person, and you're trying to convey some, some, some hope and some encouragement to the family. There's other times that I, had, I didn't know the person at all. Those are very difficult because I don't know what to say about the person to help the people be encouraged. And so at that time, I just tell people about Jesus. That's all that I know to do because that is the only hope that we have. So even, even at a moment of, 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 of death and mourning, it's not a bad time or a bad place to tell people about Jesus. He is a Lord and Savior to all who will believe. You don't go to Jesus and find a closed door. There's all kinds of places you go and you get rejected. But to Jesus, we don't get rejected. We come to Jesus and we find salvation. And so when Jesus was here, 
He was a master soul winner. He met people right where they are. He challenged them and he told them about how to be saved. And it was infectious. As he began to, to declare, people began to believe and more and more people came and listened and believed, were baptized and followed him. What we need to recognize is that he's left us on this earth. He has started that harvest. He's left us on this earth to continue it. And so wherever he has you, whatever position he has you in in life, part of what you need to be doing is telling people about Jesus and know that, that it's anybody, it's any place, it's any time. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Once again, just for the time to spend a few moments in your word. And when we're confronted with Jesus, he is perfect. There are, there are, there are times that, that we, we see what he does and we think we could, never, we could never do the same things. We could never challenge a person the way that Jesus did. We, we, we could never inspire people the way that Jesus did. But you tell us in your word, when Jesus left... He sent a helper. He sent another of the same kind. He sent the Holy Spirit. So for us this morning, those of us that are believers, we have that very same power that, that Jesus had residing in us. Remind us, Lord, that it's not about us. It's not about our qualifications or bona fides. It is about the Holy Spirit inside of us empowering us to do the work that Jesus left us to do. And for those of us this morning here that have not yet made a confession of faith, that have not believed on your name, Lord, I pray that today is a day of salvation. You may not be standing here telling us everything we did, but you know, and we know. And we know that there are other things in this world that might help us for a moment, like the water to the Samaritan woman, but only you are the living water that removes thirst forever, that turns into a wellspring. And Father, I pray that each of us would trust Jesus and receive that great and mighty blessing. Father, thank you for this day. And I thank you for each person that's here. And I pray that we do take seriously this calling that Jesus placed in our lives. He is a soul winner and he has called us to participate also in that harvest, to win souls. It's not for our glory, it's for yours. And so we pray in the glorious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.